Hello, family. Wow, it is wonderful to be back here. And um, Now, how many of you in here have never heard me preach before with a showing of your hands? Wonderful. You have absolutely no clue what you got yourself into this morning. No, no clue whatsoever. I would like to let you know this. I'm so sorry to break it to you, but we're family. Yes, I, I know. I know you needed some chocolate in your life, and <laughs> the Lord has provided just for you. Yes, and it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. It is a sweet-smelling uh, fragrance to the Lord and um, apparently to the women of the house, um, from what I understand. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> uh, have you ever questioned the Lord and said, why? Anybody ever said, why? Why? I, the Lord gave me the message for this, um, for this house, and I've been here this morning, and I've gotten the opportunity to watch, to observe, and then I was like, Lord, are you sure? Why? And the Lord said, <laughs> nothing. So I'm just going to be obedient. <laughs> just going to be obedient to what it is that he has told me to do. And for those of you that are taking notes, the title of the message today is The Next Steps of Revival. The Next Steps of Revival. Now, Every single person in here 100% understands that when your technology, whether it be your iPad or whether it be your laptop or computer, whatever it is, whenever your technology gets a bug, gets a virus, that all of a sudden you have to reset your technology. In 2020, the Lord took a look at the world and decided that it was time for a reset. In 2020, he shut everything down. And we know how it affected the world because we are the world. But it also affected the church. It affected missionaries that all of a sudden for the first time had to leave their country and come home. It affected pastors that all of a sudden their whole cycle of what they did every single day all of a sudden just stopped. It affected evangelists that went on the road all the time and were constantly away from their family to all of a sudden being locked in with their family 24-7. It affected children's ministers that all of a sudden didn't get to spend all that time with the kids and very little time in church and all of a sudden it caused this reset to occur. And at the end of 2020, all of a sudden, the church had to function differently. A lot of churches all of a sudden for the first time discovered something called technology and cameras and YouTube. A lot of congregants all of a sudden due to the pandemic that was going on felt that they couldn't leave their home and they had to all of a sudden, instead of coming to church and coming and seeing what happened on the platform, all of a sudden had to go to a new 
platform called the virtual platform to watch preachers. And all of a sudden, they started finding, oh, my goodness, there's more than one preacher. And they started listening to different preachers and, and all of a sudden getting the word through a different medium. The gospel never changed. But the Lord reset the world so that the church could all of a sudden say, well, instead of it just doing it one way, it's not either or, but it's both and. And now all of a sudden, everything changed. Well, with that divine reset, one of the things that changed is that churches before that might have only influenced just the small community where they were at, all of a sudden started discovering that people were watching them from all across the world. They were watching them from Canada and Africa and India. And they're like, how in the world did people from across the world start watching what we're doing? Because God reset the church. So all of a sudden, a new form of revival started occurring, a virtual revival. See, we already know because the vast majority of us, um, we're on our phones all the time. Okay? Most of the younger generation were shocked and surprised when all of a sudden their mom started following them on Facebook or, you know, they, they're like, hold it, mom left MySpace? <laughs> and all of a sudden, she, she, she's following what I'm doing, and now she's on the virtual realm, and they're like, well, that will never happen. Grandma, no. <laughs> Grandma's asking to follow me. What do I do? I can't say no. Should I say yes? Ah! <laughs> And all of a sudden, everything changed. And a virtual revival started all of a sudden going across the world. And now, for those of us that know, the definition of revival is restoration to life. An awakening, an awakening in a church or community of interest in and care for matters related to personal religion. It's also an evangelistic service or a series of services for the purpose of effecting a religious awakening. Very simply, restoration to life. All of a sudden, the world started watching what the church was doing. This revival is something that, for those of us that are used to it, used to it, for us, that's pretty easy. You know, we're used to going to church and having a spiritual experience. But unbeknownst to a lot of people, people started having an experience and an awakening within them, sitting at home, watching a screen. And the Lord doing something exceedingly abundantly above and beyond more than we could ask, think, or expect. So with that, here we are at the next steps of revival. And we're about to read from Luke chapter 15. But in Luke chapter 14, it starts, and this is about the journey of Jesus. Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. 
in Luke chapter 14. And in it, he gets invited and he's watching. And all of a sudden, he's watching how the host is positioning certain influential people at the banqueting table. You're going to sit here, and you're going to sit here, and you're going to sit here, and you're going to sit here. And he's placing value on people and their positions and on their financial status or their influence, determining where it is that they're going to sit. Jesus decides that he's going to speak to this particular situation that it is, just to cause everybody to think, is this really what matters? Then the next thing he does is he goes and he's walking around. Now he has a large crowd of people that are following him. And so he stops and he ministers to the large crowd of people. And then we get to chapter 15. So the day before, he was at the Pharisee's house eating. Now in chapter 15, he's now in a total and complete different situation that he was. Do you love the word of God? That was not convincing at all. Let's try that one more time. Do you love the word of God? Yeah. Yes, there you go. All right. Here we go. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomachs with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Stop right there. Really? You are so hungry that you want to eat what pigs are eating? That's a new kind of hunger. I'm just saying, I've never experienced that hunger. Prayerfully, neither have you. Verse 16. 
He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs, pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robes and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calves and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25. You're like, is he still reading? Look, Dr. Luke wrote this. And he's a doctor. And doctors, they're all about details, and they got to get every single word in. You can't understand the signature, mind you, but, man, they don't miss a detail. Okay? So we're almost done. We're almost done. Okay, stick with me. Okay, wake up that neighbor. Okay, verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You're like, what does that have to do with the next steps of revival? I'm so glad you asked. See, the global church has been experiencing revival more than ever before. Now, there are some of you in the room that you remember the 1970s. There are some in the room actually that remember the 1960s. And you're like, oh yeah, those were some good years. That whole free love time, you know, and everybody was a, was a hippie and long hair, no makeup, flower cheer. Oh, some people just already like, oh, whoo, okay. And let's not forget the drugs from mushrooms. That's right, that's right. Those drugs and mushrooms where everybody was like seeing Jesus face to face or, you know, all kinds of things face-to-face, -face, I'm certain, from, from what I read from Wikipedia, mind you. Okay. And so all of a sudden, here's this whole movement of hippies, and then all of a sudden in 1970s, the Jesus movement begins. And these long-haired, crazy-looking hippies receive Jesus. And when they received Jesus, all of a sudden, everybody looked at them and gave them a label. Jesus freaks. That's right. 
There's some of you in the room, your grandchildren don't even know. They don't even know. They don't know that you was a hippie. They don't know that you got saved and became a Jesus freak. And all of a sudden, this whole thing moves all the way up till Explo 72, an event organized by Campus for Christ held at the Cotton Bowl, Cotton Bowl Stadium in Dallas, Texas, where 80,000 young people showed up. Hippies, runaways, long-haired musicians. And they showed up. Billy Graham was there. <laughs> and they all of a sudden were like, we are all about Jesus. And then they did something that was an answer to prayer. They came to church. And revival officially caused problems. See, back in the 50s and the 60s, and when you came to church, everybody dressed like Pastor Ron. Everybody had the two three-piece suits. All the women had the long dresses all the way down. And the hair that was closer to heaven, the closer to God. And the hippies came in. And when they came in, they disrupted church. Because they came as they were. They came in their loud colors, and they came in their midriff-showing selves, and they came, and all of a sudden, um, people would be sitting in church, and they were confronted with the fact that Jesus came into the lives of people that were unlike themselves. This reminds me of the start of Luke chapter 15. See, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus was with the Pharisees. And all of a sudden, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is now with all the Gentiles. It says that he's with the sinners. And he's with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. And here he is, and he is surrounded all of a sudden with all these people that are not church people. And the church people on the outside, they're called the Pharisees. At this point, they take a look and they're like, how in the world can he eat with sinners? And they start judging him. And Jesus knows that they are judging him because he is eating with sinners. So Jesus, rather than just Speak out, he speaks in parables. And in each parable, I find that he speaks to certain people. The first people that he speaks to are those that are leaders, those that would understand what leadership is. See, he uses the terminology of somebody that owns sheep. Could be the shepherd, could be the owner of the sheep. Has 99 sheep, and all of a sudden, one of them wanders off. Now, if you remember Pastor Marcus's little video that he showed last 
week, you remember the sheep was stuck. The shepherd gets the sheep out of the little hole, and then she goes, and then right back in the exact same spot practically that it was. It was hysterical. Because the sheep didn't know any better, and the sheep got stuck in the same spot. This shepherd finds the lost sheep and takes the sheep and puts it on his shoulders. A leader, a good leader needs to know when to take someone that is lost and put them on their shoulders. Carry their burdens, carry their difficulties, carry their dysfunction, and carry them all the way back to where they are safe. The first thing Jesus does is he takes a look and he said, okay, because he knows that the murmuring that he's eating with sinners, he, first thing he does is he says, every leader is going to understand this. I'm going to use the most common profession, shepherding. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. I'm going to use the most common profession to give one point. And that is, this shepherd left the 99 to get the one, and when he got the one and brought it home, he used the analogy of when somebody is, that is lost comes home, that now all of a sudden the angels rejoice. Now there is a huge celebration that happens. But he says, that's for the one that repents. But the 99 that don't, how many of you, you've been in church, you feel like all your life? You've been in church 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 35, 35, 40, 45 years. Okay, let me see your hands. Okay. So the 99 that don't need to repent, you make Jesus smile, but you don't make the angels dance. The one of you that is in here, though, you've been crazy. You've been stuck. You got out. Found yourself in the same position. And now all of a sudden, you came back to church. Or somebody brought you back. And now all of a sudden, here you are, and you're like, God, I'm a mess. I repent. I turn from my wicked way. You caused the angels to rejoice. But then he doesn't stop there because, you know, this is a trinity of parables. So then the second one, he talks about a woman that all of a sudden loses a coin in her house. Apparently the house has like a lot of dust in it or something because she has to turn a light on and then she's sweeping to find this coin. The interesting thing, though, is it says that she puts her house in order to find the coin. Now, first off, I would like to let you know that Jesus does not use a man in this story. Because when a man loses something, I want to let you know, he is not going to put the house in order. He is going to put the house in disorder. He's going to grab, he's going to throw everything every which way that he can. And when he is done, it looks like Hurricane Ian came to his house. He, 
That's just the truth. Okay? A woman, however, she sits there and she's got the light on and she's sweeping and she's putting everything in its place until she finds the coin. She finally finds the coin and then what does she do? She calls everybody over and has a party to rejoice about it. She pretty much spends the coin on the party. Because she's so happy. And I was like, okay, God, that's something. Puts everything in order. What is that about? Oh, is there anybody in here that owns a business? Anybody? Let me see your hands. Oh, all the business people that are here. The word of the Lord is for you is it's time to put your house in order. The Lord wants to bring multiplied blessing into your business. But you have been focused. You're fine with having 90% of everything being fine. But the Lord is saying that the 10% that you're supposed to give to him, that if you will give him what belongs to him, if you will make certain that your business is in order, then the Lord is about to bring you so many blessings that you won't even be concerned about that 10%. So to every business person that is in here, it's time for you to, to deal with the details to get your business in order. So, who is that to? Well, Jesus, he's sitting there and he's looking at all the tax collectors. The tax collectors were notorious back then because they had to take the money that was supposed to be given to the Romans so they would take extra so that they could have it. So Jesus, he's now switched from talking to the leaders to now talking to the tax collectors. He hits the next story, story number three. Now he's talking about the prodigal son. Now the prodigal son is to all those that are sinners. I want to let you in on a secret. Sinners know that they're sinners. As a matter of fact, some of them feel like it's the only thing they're good at. They are great at sinning. As a matter of fact, specialists. Okay? And so, they completely relate to the prodigal son. Wild living. Woo! Some of you in here, you're trying to not look at your neighbor right now because you're like, I'm kind of good at that too. They completely relate to the prodigal son. And so, of course, all the Pharisees are like, uh-huh, prodigal son, wildness. Mm-hmm, we understand that one. And then the father comes and forgives the prodigal son and now the Pharisees are like, what? And then Jesus turns to them. And Jesus starts talking about the older brother. The older brother who has always been there. The older brother that shows up faithful every single day. The older brother whose life has been the same old, same old. And now he is so upset that his brother comes home that he doesn't even take ownership of calling him his brother. He looks at his dad and says, 
look, I've been here the entire time. Your son who went and hung out with the prostitutes, he says, your son, he doesn't even call him his brother. He won't even rejoice that the lost has been found. And Jesus is telling this, and he's looking at the Pharisees the entire time as he's surrounded by sinners and Gentiles and tax collectors. And he's looking at the Pharisees saying, you're missing it. You're missing it. Revival is happening right now, and you are missing it. Instead of being part of the solution, you have become part of the problem. Now, they might argue with Jesus because people are, they like to do that. But do you know in 2020 that for the first time ever that the stats dropped and went under 50% to where now only 47% of all Americans attend a house of worship? 47%. I'm not saying that attend a Christian house of worship. I'm saying a house of worship, they count whether that's Muslim, Hinduism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 47% attend. That's it. It's went downward. See... In this house, I know this to be certain, okay? How many of you would freely admit that thanks to your love for Jesus, that in your life, you have the ability, (laughs) I have to say that because of men in the house, you have the ability to show compassion to people. Compassion. How many of you? Look, Look at the hands. Compassion. Compassion. I believe it. We all, we don't have a problem with compassion. Compassion means a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune, accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. We don't have a problem with compassion. It is one of the next steps. It is one of the next steps of revival. We have to have the courage to have compassion for one another. But did you know that it is possible to have compassion and pride at the same time? Did you know that it is possible to have compassion but to look down on somebody, to see them as lower than you? It might, you might see them from an economic standpoint. Unfortunately, it's true in society today. Maybe it's from a racial standpoint, okay? Maybe it's from a political standpoint. But it is possible to have both. The word of the Lord today, however, is not just having compassion. See, compassion is great. There's somebody on the side of the road. Here, you give them a dollar. Here, You give them $5. Here, you give them $20. That's an act of compassion. But the next step of revival is called kindness. See, kindness is different. Kindness means being selfless, compassionate, and merciful. 
selfless, compassionate, and merciful. See, kindness isn't giving somebody a dollar to go get food to eat. Kindness is getting them food to eat and then sitting down with them and eating with them and finding out the story. Kindness is when all of a sudden you're not looking down on somebody, but rather you're looking them eye to eye. Kindness is the next step of revival. In the book of Acts, Peter gives this wonderful message and 3,000 people come to the Lord. But on the day of Pentecost, there were 120 people in that upper room that all had tongues of fire on their head. Peter and the 12 stand up and they give a message. But after that, an outbreak of compassion and kindness happens because all of a sudden, those that had that fire in the head, they start meeting with people in homes. They start breaking bread with one another. They start finding out people's needs and everybody starts giving to one another until all of a sudden, nobody has a need anymore. In January, we had um, a prophet in our church, and he came and he said, I'm about to do something. This is the scariest thing I think I've ever done as, as, as a prophetic act. He said, there's somebody in here right now. You need a car. You need a car. And this woman stands up, and she's shaking. And then he goes, okay, Holy Spirit. He goes, there is somebody else in this room that you came to church and the Lord told you that you were supposed to give a car. He didn't even have to wait 30 seconds. And that man stood up on his feet. And that man connected with that woman and she got a car. Kindness, being selfless, giving something, being generous is the next wave that will happen. This church, the reason I said, God, why this message is because this church is so full of compassion. It's so full of generosity. It is so full of kindness. But don't you know, kindness is the net that is going to hold people. Because evangelism without discipleship can cause somebody in this house to all of a sudden feel like they are isolated, even in the midst of a congregation. Let me say that again. Evangelism without discipleship can cause somebody to feel isolated even in the congregation. In other words, it's possible to be in the middle of a crowd and yet still be lonely and still need somebody to be like Jesus was to Zacchaeus and come and call you by name and go sit and eat 
and see you for who you are. That's the word for this church. There are two things that I knew that I knew that I knew. One, I knew that God is about to bless businesses in this house. And all you have to do is put your house in order and give tithe. Two, the second thing that I knew that I knew that I knew is that there's a kindness that is all of a sudden supposed to rise in this church because after all, it is his kindness that leads people to repentance. In every single one of these stories was all about the lost being found. Today, if you're here or even watching online and you know, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I haven't turned from my wicked way and repented, I want to let you know if you will give Jesus your all right here and right now, there's a party in heaven ready to just break out and go for it if you will do it. There are some of you in the room, you know, you got that one crazy aunt, that one crazy relative, that one that you're like, if they ever get saved, whoo, anything is possible. It might be Jesus' kindness in you that leads him to repentance. You're like, I don't want to be kind to them. They're crazy. Do you want to be like Jesus? Today, this is my closing right here. Today, we have a choice. We can either be like the Pharisees that judge everything, or we can be like Jesus who steps in the middle of humanity and says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And all you've got to do is show some kindness. Kindness, how? Can you invite somebody to eat? I said, can you invite somebody to eat? Invite somebody to eat. Hear their story. Share yours. If you do that, if every single person in here did that this week, you wouldn't have enough seats for what happens this next Sunday. You'd have to pull out more chairs. Just invite somebody to eat, hear their story, share yours, show kindness, and invite them to church. I'm just going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we all want revival. But Lord, sometimes we don't think about what that's going to mean, that it's going to shake us out of our comfort zones in the church that we have made our safe place. But Lord, this church isn't just a safe place. It's also a hospital where the great physician wants to be at work. So Lord, right now, we pray, let revival come. 
and let kindness, Lord God, all of a sudden shine like a beacon from this church that causes everyone that comes to feel loved and accepted and seen. Lord, we receive your word today. And if you're in this place and you're lost and you want to come to Jesus, today's your day. Please repeat after me. Lord Jesus, today I freely admit that I'm a sinner. But I freely admit that I know that you died and rose again just for me. So right now I give you my sin and I repent I don't want it anymore. Lord, I want you. Please come into my life and set me free. And I thank you that from this day on, that I know that I'll get to go to heaven and be with you for eternity. I love you. And thank you most of all for loving me. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.